I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly brought to you in association with Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Gavin Casey here in studio and I am joined by Murray Kinsella of the 42.e. How are you, Murray? I'm great, how are you? Very good, thank you very much. And we're joined as well by Bernard Jackman. Good to have you back, Bernard. How has your week been? Been good, yeah. No, be good. I enjoyed uh, weekends rugby. I'm looking forward to another another round of Champions Cup. Yeah, it was a glorious weekend last weekend, and another uh, particularly exciting Saturday coming up this coming weekend. And we will be previewing all of the four provinces' games in the Champions Cup. But before we get to that, Murray, you've been doing a bit of light reading, I believe, uh, with your day so far. Yeah, busy morning. Um, Joe Schmidt's book obviously out this morning. Kind of was waiting for that with bated breath just to. I guess get his sense of World Cup, etc. We knew there was going to be a diary in there, um, so yeah, I've read pretty much most of it. Skimmed through some of the passages. It's essentially kind of it starts with kind of reflections of his youth and and his life in New Zealand. Then there's a middle section kind of based around his coaching values, beliefs, that kind of side. And then the third part is a diary of the 2018 Grand Slam and the the 2019 World Cup. So kind of jumps around a little bit it's not all in one kind of cohesive kind of unit as you expect with these books it's not really an autobiography it's not really a coaching manual it's not really a diary so it's kind of trying to be all things um and I guess disappointing for people who are looking for a bit more reflection on the World Cup it doesn't really have that you know the diary kind of just goes through day by day there are little reflections here and there maybe signs of how stressed he gets out about things even the, the couple of injuries are early on with Rob Kearney and, and Henshaw um, but really it's not until the, the last page or last two pages where he kind of ha- tries to maybe give a bit more reasoning behind why he thinks things went so wrong um, I have a passage here I'll, re- I'll actually read it out he goes I guess what it consolidates in my mind is that the margins are very fine and repeatability of performance is key in any competition our level of performance slipped as we started to look too far ahead we just didn't step back onto the pitch and play with the same level of accuracy cohesion and confidence but he says I think the players will build their way back from the defeat to a, ver- to a very good All Blacks team um, and he says looking more broadly at the Rugby World Cup I think there's a danger in becoming too focused on delivering one-off performances at the end of four-year cycles that it is more about having a growth mindset on a weekly basis to improve player capability, build team cohesion and strengthen the squad's identity. And that's how the book actually signs out. So that's the kind of, that's almost the totality of the reflection, which is, I don't know, I guess when you look at the timeline of this book coming mm-hmm. out, probably not surprising. And you kind of wonder as you're reading it, maybe it would have been better to, to wait until next year to to put this out there with a bit, bit of time for that re- uh, self-reflection. You look at things like even the Devon Toner thing, which is obviously... We have a headline about it today, and I know a couple of others has. He says he was left out of the squad based on potentially being cited for a, a shoulder-to-head to kind of contact in the Wales warm-up game. But you think about that, it doesn't really stand up because you think you essentially just wait to find out if he is going to be banned or not. Then you make your decision. Um, I wonder what Devin Toner will think reading that and, and whether that was what was communicated to him. So there are these little bits. Now, there are loads, obviously, interesting parts, obviously getting to understand a bit more about his upbringing and where he came from um, is interesting. Actually, the first couple of pages are kind of jarring because it involves him getting, as he called it, strapped in school. Um, oh, right. A yeah, few punished in like... school. Yeah, quite um, jarring stuff. He actually says maybe that's why he, later in his life he, he felt he 
found it hard to get over injustices when when it happened against his team his teams maybe um so that's a bit in, a bit of interesting insight and the coaching stuff in the in the middle section of the book will definitely be of interest to certainly to coaches um and then there's a little bit of personal insights obviously his mother passed away the week before the Italy warm-up game at the very start of the, the World Cup uh, cycle and you know he's only literally home for a couple of days and has to fly back before the actual service to get back to his team um, and then he talks about how his son just before the quarterfinal actually uh, his son Tim meets him and he gives him a card that his mother had written to him knowing that she probably would pass away before the, the quarterfinal and obviously a very emotional moment for him and um, so there are little bits little bits like that but I guess you don't quite get that full-on insight into who he is or, or maybe what he really thought about that World Cup and um, certainly doesn't feel like he's had that time for the self-reflection on it. I'll be interested to hear what, what supporters and fans of his think of it um, and I'll definitely dig into it a little bit more myself. But just on that first read, there probably aren't those answers around the World Cup that we were hoping for. Mm, sounds like he could have used a ghostwriter, to be honest. Maybe, um, maybe. It will be interesting to see what people make of it all. Bernard, you've got a, you bought a copy of Eddie Jones' book, I believe. Yeah, Donald I was going back to the that. airport this morning and uh, I like Donald McRae um, and I, uh, I I like Eddie as well. I think he's fascinating and uh, I was lucky enough to spend some time with him on two occasions. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to to diving into that. It's, it's a big, big book and uh I think he's got he's got he's just such an interesting character and, and he's pretty open as well. Uh, actually, just just think last night I was in London at an event with uh, with Kyle Sinclair and and a couple of other Harlequins players and I just I was so impressed by how open and, and giving and, and authentic they are and they're just being themselves and and uh, it's just a joy to to sit down and and I suppose hear their views on things and and um, maybe they are pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. But you genuine, I genuinely f- felt, for example, last night that you know they're giving their honest uh, opinion on things and and they're actually doing themselves um, a lot of good for for life post playing as well and just um, just selling themselves uh, in in a very good way. So um, he, you know he he's, he kind of reinforced what I felt about Eddie is that. Um, you know, he's got real clarity in terms of kind of how he wants to lead a group and how he wants to develop leaders and, and how he wants to play. And uh, he he's quite data-driven and, he, you know, he's a real growth mindset. He's always looking for for the next, um, you know, 1%, but he keeps it pretty simple to the players. Like, you know, um, there's a bit in the book around um, the fact that he felt he was being, I suppose, overwhelmed with data. There was way too much data being thrown at him. He didn't understand it. And uh, he, he found two very, well, he found one very bright guy um, in, the, in, the, in the RFU who had trained uh, in America. And um, effectively, Eddie's, Eddie's belief is that don't believe everything video analysts tell you um, because effectively they hang around the coaches all the time. So <laughs> subliminally, they actually hear what the coach thinks before they go and find the footage. So it's effectively, it's uh, what you're given is influenced by what they know about you. So he was looking for, you know, completely cold data, but not not a, hundreds of, of of different stats. It was basically the six biggest influencers in terms of test rugby. So he basically got his team of, of, of statisticians to look at five years of international rugby and actually come back and say, these are the six areas of the game that decide whether you win or not and effectively I didn't actually because I, I didn't know I, I wondered did he ever go and, and present that to the players but I asked Scott Sinclair about it and he said no all, all Eddie talks about is um, you know uh, set piece and defence but then when you actually probed it a little bit more you know their game plan for, for the All Blacks 
um, was was very much tied to things that they'd been working on, you know, throughout the year, but never actually fully using or implementing it. So obviously, whatever those six things uh, that you know, decide international test rugby uh, that he felt, he obviously picked the ones that were probably suited to the All Blacks' weaknesses and 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 really focused on the game plan that week and 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 drilled it in so and, and Kyle Singer didn't need to know about it you know obviously people need to know about it more importantly were the nines and tens and you know the decision makers but uh so he didn't overload people like you know your tired prop with information they don't need to know which again is a, is a skill in itself and he was able to just go and he said like the, the message for him was you know get off the line smash people be good your set piece you know and, and uh, when you carry carry hard that was that's what Eddie said to him before the game you know and uh I think it suits certain players to just have that kind of clarity of message. So, yeah, so I only skimmed through it again, but um, it's one of those ones that I think I think it will enlighten coaches and, and, and I think it'll enlighten people who are who are leaders as well to, to see because Eddie Jones has had a phenomenally successful career. So he's obviously been to two World Cup finals, Australia and, uh, and England, lost bottom, being involved in South Africans have won World Cup. What he did with Japan was, was impressive, but, yeah, uh, they didn't qualify out of group. So he's been to you know, uh, so that's that's still very successful. But he also, I think, um, you know, he shipped eighty points his last game with the Reds or something like that. Like, so he's had disappointments. He's had to go to Japan to to rebuild his career. Um, so he's not he's he's very aware of how how difficult it is to to get things right, and he's constantly looking to to learn from his mistakes. So um, yeah, I think over. Uh, from what Murray says, I, I probably will buy Joe's book, um, but I think I'll learn more from from Eddie's. There's a bit of a, there's a chapter actually about the media in Joe's yeah. book, which is no surprise really in the end. Any shout outs for you, Murray? No shout outs. There aren't, there aren't too many shout outs for individuals, but there are publications where he, he has them in his crosshairs and he maybe tries to settle a few scores of bits and pieces that frustrated him over the years. But again, probably doesn't quite get to the heart of why exactly he spent so much time investing in actually reading so much stuff and engaging with it that way and being frustrated by it and even his work of diary that kind of was a bit I took away from it as it as it goes along you're sensing these little frustrations add up he does actually admit that he was disappointed with himself for bringing up the the penalties remember when he talked about world rugby giving him that feedback that Ireland had um, been maybe harshly a judge with a couple of offside penalties he says he was disappointed with that but um, yeah the fact that there's a media chapter in there at all I think is probably reflective of uh, yeah, wasting so much time just- you know, spoke really highly of, of Eddie Jones. I actually think Joe Schmidt's a phenomenal coach as well. That's why, you know, it would have been um, if there was, and even this, whatever nuggets he gives away on his, on his coaching philosophy will be gold because, you know, he is a phenomenal coach. Yeah, and there are bits there, he, he does talk about kind of big rocks in his game and he says he was often surprised by people talking about Leinster's offloading continuity. He was very much focused on contact being the primary thing. And he goes into the bits and pieces. I, I, I don't want to ruin the book for anyone who's going to read it, but... He does delve in those bits. He also delves on the kind of, I suppose, the more mental side of preparation. Talks about some of the people he got in uh, to talk to the players. There are little quotes interspersed. You can see he's a very well-read man. Even the, the start of each chapter has a quote from mainly actually literary figures. One of the quotes is from Vodafone, from a Vodafone ad, which was kind of bizarre in the middle <laughs> of it. But um, you can see he's very well-read and he uses these bits interspersed just to kind of highlight and uh, underline a few points. So, yeah, there's little bits. There's nuggets, as you say, but... I probably was frustrated coming away from it that it wasn't more cohesive. I think with uh, Jones's book, McRae met him 35 times or something to interview him and the last one was two days after the World Cup final, yeah. which would have been such an interesting chat to have been a fly on the wall for when you consider 
like McRae was celebrating a World Cup victory and Jones was celebrating probably yeah. one of the low lights of his career and they're trying to tie up a book, you know. Yeah, must be. But that's good to hear that. I yeah. put that into I think the interviews with Joe over the next few days will be interesting as well. And you'd imagine some of the people who get a chance to interview him, probably the more the rugby journalists, will actually maybe try and dig into that World Cup because obviously the book probably went to press or whatever several weeks ago. He's probably had more time to think about it. Yeah, I think when you like when you hear the ghostwriters beam with the, you know, the main actor two days after a, you know, a World Cup loss, I think you're going to get, you know, a, a really good insight into how it feels then. But um, again, probably a follow-up now, you know, follow-up now with, with a bit of clarity with two or three weeks off to think about it and to know, you know, to, to hear what Eddie Jones feels, you know, went wrong that week, you know. Um, just talking to someone, someone last night, they were 35 minutes late for, yeah. um, the bus arrived 35 minutes late. And I, I don't know if you saw, um, there's, a, there's a bit of footage going around of the, the captain's toss uh, with Khaleesi and that's Farrell. right yeah uh, and uh, some sports psychologist in, in South Africa has dubbed over but if you take away the the, the noise I mean Farrell looked completely out of out of sync he, he'd lost his bearings so he wanted to toss he and he, he didn't know what which way they were going to play he was he was Did turning you, around like he's in a tunnel so you can't see the pitch but he he was all uh, he was trying to portray overplaying from right to left but didn't know where it was and didn't really engage with Khaleesi didn't engage with the referee um, and just like, for a guy who's so experienced who played in that stadium or in the semi-final I presume wasn't it and to being there before it wasn't like oh we're completely out of depth completely out of, out of sorts but definitely England looked looked shell-shocked and the way they started the game making simple errors and obviously then what happened with Sinclair and staffing and fairness were brilliant but um, you'd love to know what like why they were 35 minutes late and like, you know, I know Eddie stopped the bus going to play Ireland and Twickenham, so the lads would be prepped for that. But yeah. he wouldn't do a trial run, a World Cup final. It definitely wasn't the plan. And yeah. uh, and, and also, I think I you know I asked Sinclair last night, you know, did he know on the Monday they were going to beat New Zealand? And he said, yeah, because Eddie was wound up, and you know, uh, John Mitchell had had intellect on on the All Blacks, and and was a huge focus for him for a long time. Um, but he didn't see, he didn't feel that kind of. Emotion and press and and pressure and and build the week of the of the final, which is again it's I don't know it's 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 a hard one. Obviously, as a coaching group, they obviously felt okay. You know, we, it's work of final looks after itself. Yeah. Um, also, probably just difficult to rediscover the emotional absolutely. pitch of the week before. Hundred percent. But do you actually buy into the coin toss thing and the body language? Uh, no, uh, no, I don't. I don't know. I, I think I think it's interesting because of how England played afterwards, but. Like I've seen Owen Farrell in, in that situation before and he's always very composed. He's able to, you know, talk to the other captain. He's able to talk to the referee. So He's assertive. Yeah, he's assertive and he didn't look assertive at all. Um, and It's just it's just an interesting yeah. talking point, you know. Because like it's a thing in combat sports, for example, during a stare down at a weigh-in or even at a press conference that if one fighter looks a little bit more shy or averts their gaze, it's like, oh, he's, yeah. he's in big trouble. Yeah. And then like you, the guy could come out and spark his opponent in 60 seconds and the whole thing. No, without a doubt. It's not always a sign. It's just when the no, performance is poor. Yeah. Performance is poor and you see that you go, and then they're late arriving and they've been so good the week before, you just go, you know, what, like where were they at? mentally in terms of their their prep you know mm. the one thing that is very apparent in that video regardless of what you would make of 
Farrell's body language is that Khaleesi does absolutely boss the situation. Yeah. Like he's in command of absolutely everything and, yeah. and makes a point of being in charge yes. of that situation. The, yeah. one, of the, one of the things Joe Schmidt has a gripe about is actually the kind of fa- the narrative fallacies afterwards that we put on different things. <laughs> but I mean, you can do that with anything. You can do that with nothing and essentially we wouldn't have a job. So we got to do something with it. Um, the other thing about Eddie Jones doing an interview two, day, two days after the work of final, he did say he was going to be drunk for three days. So <laughs> I wonder what really came out of that, that interview. The ending of that book could be spectacular. <laughs> Yeah. Come here, we better talk about Champions Cup. Um, we'll do it chronologically again uh, so that we avoid the abuse of listeners. Uh, and it's actually Ulster who kick us off on Friday night in Ravenhill. Clermont will have their tails up uh, after giving Harlequins a bit of a walloping last week. Bernard, uh, we haven't spoken to you since uh, we previewed the opening weekend's mm. fixtures. What did you make of Ulster's victory in Bath and what kind of chances do they have here at home uh, to Clermont? So I think it's uh, for, for McFarlane and Ulster, uh, you know, an away win um, was was crucial. I think there was elements of performance that, um, you know, there definitely, definitely work-ons and, and, you know, they needed to, you know, the last gas tackle at the end to, to win the game. Um but it's a win away, and they'd be so happy to have you know Claremont in in Ravenhill, especially Claremont coming off a, a a big win, and it'll be a completely different story. I mean, Harlequins were were poor on the on the night to let Claremont play uh, became a, a a really chaotic type of game, and there's only going to be one winner in that. So, um, yeah, it's obviously a huge task, but I think if you're going to get a French team um, of Claremont's quality, you'd want to get them their first away game where they kind of have a joker to play. You know, I, I think they're more vulnerable early in a group when potentially they, you know, they can get themselves out of trouble if they if they slip up. So um, I think I think Ulster can. I don't think inform Ulster are as good as Claremont or have the power, but I think uh, I think Ulster will, will probably sneak a win there and just make it very difficult for for Claremont to play. Yeah, four changes to the Ulster, Ulster team but based on some of those injuries. Sam Carter and Jack McGrath, obviously big losses up front, but Eric O'Sullivan has been playing brilliant rugby for a long time now and Alan O'Connor was pretty impressive off the bench as well. You've got Louis Ludic coming in on the wing, which I actually think makes him a little bit more solid even. Rob Little, obviously a great finisher, but probably didn't do great for that try as we discussed. Um, and then Sean Reedy and for Maddie Ray in the back row again. I, I think that'll maybe make them a little bit more abrasive. Probably didn't all go Ray's way. He's a, he's a brilliant prospect and has developed really well, but I think Ulster look pretty strong even with those changes. Interesting enough, Tremont have, have changed the halfbacks. Yeah. So Lopez and Parry go to the bench, Greg Laidlaw and Jake McIntyre come in, which maybe when you're talking about it being more structured game makes sense because sure. I think Laidlaw mm-hmm. will kick, yeah. control, um, whoever probably doesn't, it probably does weaken them in the in the halfbacks in my eyes. Um, and the other one is Ettoria coming into the back row, who's an excellent player. He can play lock, really good line out option. So that certainly won't weaken them. Their pack is very strong. And you mentioned that like the quality of their attack is is sensational. The the thing that strikes me is how often professional rugby players talk about Yasho and Rakow with genuine awe. Danny Kerr was the latest one I heard. Wow. He was on the BBC podcast talking about oh, I haven't played against guys like this in club rugby. They're two sensational athletes, and they were. Central, obviously, to Claremont. I think they made 20 line breaks, which was top of the pops, along with Rassing, actually, who cut Saracens apart, which we'll probably come to. So there are loads of threats there. I think, encouragingly, the defensive performance Mulster was really good in Bath. Um, obviously, we saw the late scramble from Jacob Stockdale. Brilliant bit of defence to save the day. But before that, they they applied pressure with their line speed. They made good decisions at the end of that line speed, whether to ease off, whether to go and finish the tackle. They had two turnover tries. Now, the second one was maybe a bit... A fortune really but they applied a lot of pressure onto Bath who wanted to seem seemingly play quite a bit of rugby on a really horrible surface actually I was a bit surprised by some of their tactics um, but Ulster defended well so that's really encouraging and, and the, even the 
buoyant nature of the victory helps a lot. Um, and they just know that if they can get over the hurdle in this home game, well, then they're in a super position yeah. to go on to the quarterfinals. So it really is all there for them. And I think it's going to be a, a brilliant match um, against a, a really outstanding Clermont team. I hope they do deliver away from home and we get the, the kind of blockbusting clash that it could be on a Friday night. Um, they've had some famous wins there, Ulster, and I think the atmosphere is going to be absolutely rocking again. So really looking forward to that one. Bernard, we can sit here and say it needs to be a structured game or that Ulster need to turn it into a structured game in order to emerge victorious. Uh, if you were coaching Ulster, how do you actually go about that? Like, what are you saying to players or how are you approaching a game tactically that will maybe allow for it to be more organised and for it to be less chaotic? Yeah, where no, it's, actually going, it's kind of going against them. Um, what, what they'll have to do is kind of go against Dan's natural instinct, which is to, is to attack. Um, but I, I just think the problem with teams who who go on a full frontal attack against Claremont is that they find when they make when there's turnovers they're not set defensively and that's where the individual brilliance that they have that Claremont have and the athleticism they have hurts you so I think from a McFarland point of view and also when you kick badly they come back at you uh, and punish you so it'll be just being really tight around how they kick, where they kick, and when they kick, and who kicks, you know. Because uh, in fairness, it's been a really good part of the way the game's evolved is that effectively everyone has a license to kick now if if they see space. But um, the, the reality is, unless you're very accurate in trying to find that space and you have the right people doing it, teams like Claremont can actually really exploit that and, and hurt you. So I think that's why he'll just be locking down around kind of how many phases they play, you know, in their in their own uh, third, so outside of 22, before they actually look to to kind of reverse the pressure and and then obviously how they're going to do that. And most teams who who kind of try and trap Claremont a little bit, they kick to contest uh, more often than they kick long uh, because sometimes you kick long against them and even though you might gain the territory battle for the first couple of phases, they have the ball and, and eventually then they, they break you down. So um, I think that'll be it. That'll be mainly around that. Uh, and... Obviously, trying to find a little bit of dominance in, in I'd say, mall time. So Claremont are a huge pack, but they're probably not the best defensive mall. I don't think in in France because it's not something they need to go to a lot. Um, and are not they, they play away from the lineup quite a bit. So, um, I think that there are two areas that Dan will will look uh, to to really make sure that they're nice and tight on that. But try and you know try and find a few strike plays that can get them over the game line because you're not going to you're not going to outpower them really um, you just got to outthink them a little bit and, and um, make them make bad decisions defensively because they're not that organised again it's like it's they're probably one of the more organised French teams but they're not they wouldn't have a system, defensive system that's bedded down in, in, with strong foundations it's up to a lot of individuals to make reads at the right time and, and they're very good players and they do that but uh, they get away they make sometimes they make mistakes but the opposition don't have the pace to to go and finish, they're able to scramble quite well. So uh, it's a big ask, but I just think Claremont, um, there have been days in Europe where they haven't really shown up. And I think definitely a Friday night in Belfast is, uh, will be, is a pretty daunting, intimidating place to go. And uh, I just think they could come unstuck. Yeah, yeah, it is a prime candidate for them to not show up, to be fair. Yeah, uh, just on a brief side note with Ulster, Billy Burns obviously gets a new contract. We kind of discussed his growing role in the leadership and thought he was pretty good away to bat. But also Bill Johnson's back on the bench having played AIL last weekend. And it is a, a very much a side note, but that's exactly why he moved to Ulster, to be involved in, in these big European games. And it'll be brilliant to see him push on as well. He's 22 now, obviously had massive potential and impressed us all as a youngster so I think it would be really positive for them to start getting that return on that investment um, in him and that belief in him I think he'll be relishing any 
any bit of chance he gets off the bench. Yeah, just a note, I read some people saying, oh, Stockdale proved he's a brilliant defender <laughs> with that last uh, gasp um, interception. Or, but in fairness, uh, like, he'd actually made a bad read to, lo- to lead to the line break. So he's basically covering up for his own, own mistake. So I think, again, it'll just be interesting to see his development over the next uh, two or three months. And, and uh, you know, playing against teams like Claremont, he will be asked a lot of questions defensively. So, I, I you know, just... He's a phenomenal player, but I think for him to become a complete player and to become a, you know, a world-class player in a, in a British and Irish line, you know, he just needs to keep showing improvement mm. on his defence. And I wouldn't say he's a great defender because of one moment of, uh, you know, of making a good read, really. It's a, he's a fascinating player as well as a, a potentially world-class player because everything he seems to be involved in seems to be a big moment. Yeah. Even like him getting smashed over by Rocco Dagoonie, having kicked a poor exit yeah. kick. Every bit he's involved in is either bit of brilliance or, or a moment where you go wow that kind of stands out as a poor moment for sure. him and he, and he still looks so raw it's really kind of up and down with him and you, you would hope that those bits that give him the confidence that incredible intercept right at the death that it, it kind of leads to that levelling off I guess of yeah, all his actions uh, you know Jared Payne um, is a great guy to mentor him defensively because obviously he played 13 he played wing he played fullback so and now he's the defence coach up there and by all accounts you know very uh, a very talented defence coach so and he's so young I can understand why he's a little behind that, but yeah. it'll just be fascinating because if he gets that right, as you said, most of his moments in attack are are pretty good. Um, so it's just uh, it's a nice thing to watch over the next two or three months, and obviously will have an influence on how we go into Six Nations having him as a better player. To be fair, it seems like Water off a duck's back with him as well. I don't think he's good. He doesn't seem to dwell on things, which is definitely no. good. Yeah, it's good to be able to park it, but you got to make sure that you're still get you know you're doing the right things Monday to Friday. He's definitely box office. Uh, Connacht then travelled to Stad Ernest Wallon on Saturday, one o'clock, the early one. And uh, where do we stand with Connacht at the moment? Has has anybody come back to full fitness during the week that could dig them out of uh, the position they're in at the moment? Yeah, I think that of a handful. I'm not exactly sh- sure on who until until they name, but they will have a handful back and then another handful next week. So a lot of the injuries weren't actually long-term ones, which is really positive for them. So I think they'll be boosted by a, a couple of returning players, even someone like Tom Farrell up doing media this week, which suggests he's certainly back in the mix and, and will add a lot. Funnily enough, when I went, went back and watched the, the Connacht game, kind of without the, the, the live aspect of it, obviously afterwards you're thinking, what a brilliant win. And it, it certainly was that, but working back through it, there is so much they can get better on. And in fact, not to be harsh but I think they should have got a bonus point the, the chances they created in the first half you obviously Montpellier missed a couple of chances but Montpellier didn't play particularly well and I, I saw Andy Friend saying it during the week we we didn't feel we defended particularly well we didn't take those chances I think there's loads of scope for him now obviously that's a, an important coaching message for him to keep the players focused on actually thinking well if we played better there we could have got a bonus point go away from Toulouse with that kind of belief and that motivation to improve their performance but I do think there's a lot more scope for improvement um, and that's not to be harsh because they were missing 16 players in the end but I look at those line breaks where Tom Daly goes through down the left hand side lovely interplay with, with Bundyaki there's a clear inside pass he just doesn't see Quail and Blade in the inside you think of Paul Boyle pretty immediately after the, the early Montpellier try breaking through and he, he throws that inside pass he gets picked off there's loads of little bits like that where, where they'll feel they could have been better and, and defensively as well the two tries were pretty remarkably soft really looking back on it the first one they get four defenders in a blindside where there's no attackers there's no backfield coverage and the second one was just a, a missed tackle and, and then a missed tackle again by two players so I feel they'll be going into this thinking we can definitely get better now I still probably don't think that's going to be enough to beat a Toulouse team who are 
hopefully now back to where they, they were when they were consistently competitive in Europe. And I thought the way they ground out their win away to Gloucester and the way they absolutely destroyed the Gloucester line-out was really impressive because maybe we all kind of got carried away with their style of play last season. And they certainly do like to play uh, with wit and with ambition and throw that pass or that offload or that chip kick. Um, but they've also got that more muscular side as well. So really difficult task, but I'd expect Connacht's actual imp- performance levels to step up again. Is it difficult, Bernard, when it is essentially a makeshift team, even if you still have a, a number of key figures in your starting 15 and even on the bench, like where we're talking about Connacht having room to improve, um, like conceivably that squad could never play together again, like in that exact uh, Yeah, no, for sure. And I think um, I would agree with Murray and, I, and I, he can understand, you know, if, if Andy Friend and his coaching staff are, are, are highlighting where they could have done better. But I, I also do think that the most important thing they needed to show last weekend was was real character. You know, given you have to take into account they were never going to put it was highly likely they were going to put in a, a perfect performance given the injuries they had and, and the fellas missing, plus the fact that shipped whatever forty five points the yeah. week before at home to Leinster. So um it was and I think what he'll be absolutely delighted with was that they've shown that kind of resilience and, and mental toughness. And also even conceding after a couple of a couple of minutes against Montpellier it was a, a dagger blow given how, how, how poor they'd been the week before and they found a way to to win so they'll they'll get that cohesion as they start as guys start to filter back in um but the most important thing is that you know he can keep going back to the fact that when the chips were down you know as a group we stood up and, and we were you know we, uh, we were there to be counted so that that's that'll be huge for them going going forward in the season now, listen they're not realistic contenders I don't think to um to win win the Champions Cup um, and it's a tough group you know so I think they'll, they'll struggle especially with, even with a full squad it would be a hard group to get out of not that they're not as good as Gloucester or, um, you know but just and Montpellier at home will be a different different animal so you know I, I think Montpellier won't go out Connacht won't get out and Gloucester won't get out of that group um, but Connacht will you know will be very tricky for, for all of them Their hope is obviously that Montpellier hammer Gloucester and Gloucester's hopes are essentially over before the December back-to-backs because they'll obviously rest players then with Premiership in view that would give them that maybe that outside chance the character thing is really interesting because Andy Friend was talking about that post-match and he was talking about them not being able to get their charter flights over they got to mm-hmm. get commercial flights he said he bumped into a Munster fan on the Sunday morning uh, in in Galway I can't remember exactly where Knocking Car, I think it was who had been been to the match and was already back and he was thinking to himself we would not be back at this stage you know and he's just a Munster fan he's able to get back on that that chartered flight um, so it, it probably kind of points to where the character is and even for me it was my first match back since the shiny stadiums of Japan yeah. and you're tucked up in the clan terrace you look out at that training pitch at the back which compared to most professional clubs is probably substandard realistically yeah. um, and you just and, and you kind of understand why they have that character that chip that never mm-hmm. die never say die attitude um, and so hopefully they don't lose that when they get their fancy new trainings <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I think probably Connacht have caught up you know Connacht used to be, when I played there we, you know we were very uh, poorly resourced so they've caught up probably with, with a lot of the pro, team, pro 14 teams bar the Leinster Munster Ulster you know with, yeah. compared with the Welsh uh, and, and the Scots are probably not a million miles away but then when you go to the Champions Cup you're, you know the likes of Montpellier and, and Toulouse and Racing and uh, Saracens on, on a normal season you know they're just another step above and um, those teams that don't have that resource it, it can it can be the difference realistically in, in sometimes winning and losing and it's like Dragons are playing in Russia t- or tomorrow night I was just talking to one of the players this morning and they they left their house yesterday morning at 5 o'clock in the morning and they got into their hotel I think 
at half one in the morning last night. You know, that's a horrendous Shh. travel schedule. And, and Connacht did it before, remember? And they yeah. got stuck and it was, it was actually a turning point. But yeah, we, sometimes we forget about probably the the unfairness of the resources some teams have. And Connacht, mm. Connacht you know, will we'll use that as a, as, a, a, as a rallying cry, which is, which is great and it's, and it's smart, but um, it still makes it harder to win. If you don't have the same level of uh, of, of comfort and and flexibility in your travel, you know? yeah, definitely. Naturally, the ambition within the Connacht squad and management will be to get out of the pool, regardless of what yeah. we think. But yeah. from if you were to be realistic, it's probably harsh on them again because look, you you just don't know. But like sitting here, we don't think they're going to get out of the pool. What then to you, Bernard, is a good season for Connacht, and is it really just about kind of building a kind of momentum or something this year? Like what what's this season about? No, listen. I think they can. They can probably win four, four games, which would have them pretty close. But uh, are they able to get bonus points? You know, can I get losing bonus point away to lose? This sounds very negative. But I just don't think it'd be a huge shock for me if Connacht, at the moment, given all the injuries they have, were good enough to go to to lose and win. Now they can. They can. They still have very good players and and, and are very well coached. It just would be a be a massive scalp. So you got to just look at it objectively and say, um, given kind of how how badly affected they've been at early stage and the fact that the, the Champions Cup runs in four consecutive weeks now, you know, in, in a previous season they might have managed to just get as many points as they can in the first two rounds and and get the reinforcement back. But I just think it'll be it'll be difficult for them. But I, I they'll fancy beating Toulouse at home. I'd say in the sports ground that'll be a phenomenal occasion. They'll beat Gloucester in in the sports ground. Um, but you know it depends if Gloucester is still in the comp. You know Gloucester weren't bad against Toulouse the other night. You know if that line had them malfunctioned, um, you know they, they would have won it. Their attack is is beautiful to watch. Um, you know even at the end they had a chance to win it. They had a line out four five yards out and blew it. So um, Gloucester aren't a bad team, and I just think that they probably won't get enough points um, in the, maybe the, in the two games they might lose, and and, and won't pick up enough bonus points in the four they might win, which would be still a very good record. You know, I think Connacht are very competitive, but I just think it'll be difficult for them to get out given how hamstrung they are by injuries. Yeah, another side note, I guess, to add is Kieran Marmion's new contract. We discussed that as well. Fantastic for them to get that nailed down. Have he probably had a tough decision to make there, but. I think Ireland and Andy Farrell will be happy as well that he's kind of committed to giving another go that way as well. Although Quaylen Blade is playing such good rugby now, it's not going to be easy to wrestle that nine jersey off him. And I think Farrell will be keeping a close eye on his really steady rise and progress. He keeps adding tools and he looks really composed now in controlling that play, even the, the couple of tries inside the 22. He actually scores one himself with that dart and the, the, the first try for Paul Boyle. It was his dart that laid the foundation. He's a very... Um, chirpy presence like most scrum halves but uh, Andy Friend said he's turning into a really good leader as well even though he's not a, a captain or a vice captain officially so he's one to watch as is Paul Boyle I think he's really one of the most improved players in the country the last couple of years a guy who probably has a chip on his shoulder you know he didn't get into the Leinster setup, um, got a chance in Connacht and he's, he's grabbing it so loads of individuals to keep an eye on as well Yep exciting times for Connacht we'll see how it goes for them uh, and two and a quarter hours after Connacht uh, go to Toulouse Leon hosts Leinster at Stadgerland. Um, a disappointing start to Leon's European campaign. We were probably speaking last week about how they could give it a go this season, given they uh, lost all of their pool games last time. Um, but then they came up against a very good uh, and rejuvenated Northampton side as well. Uh, give us your thoughts on this one, Bernard, just from in an overall sense, Leinster an opportunity to probably go down and get a bit of a statement victory or one of those little milestone victories yeah. that can make for a successful season. Yeah, and I think Leinster will. I think um, even though 
obviously or Leon could park that loss and say, oh, we still can win five games and, and qualify. Uh, I think mentally mm. that'll break them a bit and it'll just give them a bit of an excuse. Uh, you know, I think they gave away over 20 penalties. Their discipline was horrendous. And um, I, 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 even though they'll probably, that'll improve this weekend, I, I think that the way Leinster will be able to keep the ball uh, for long periods, they'll just get frustrated and sloppy and, and infringe a lot. And, and uh, I think Leinster will, will go there and win and pretend, and could win with a bonus point. Um, because Leon, in, in Leon, you have to understand the mentality of, of French clubs is that you know, they won't really see themselves as being contenders for, for Champions Cup until you know, they've maybe won a, won a top 14. That'll be the, the priority. Um, and once they have a little bit of leeway mentally to switch off, They'll take it, and uh, they'll obviously want to go well at home, and, and it'll be it'll be tough. But once Leinster can start to build a score, um, I think you'll see the the frailties in, that that's within their game, and and the maybe lack of real purpose and, and motivation for this competition be exposed. And uh, I, I think it's a great time to get them. And uh, I think Leinster are good enough to go there and and, and win. And I said they might even get a bonus point if they can really hit their straps yeah it's a really interesting fixture because no Irish team has played Leon in the Champions Cup before so it's kind of nice that there actually is a kind of fresh team like that and it's a bit of an unknown quantity yeah. not sure quite what to expect there's no doubt about the individual quality they have across the team like Joshua Tuasova is not a person you want to be tackling absolute freak Nakatasi on the on the other wing even Charlie Natta a guy who probably would have mm. been should have been in the all black setup at one stage there's loads of quality there but I totally agree with you in how Leinster can frustrate them. Actually, he was looking at the stats from last weekend and no team gave away fewer turnovers than Leinster. Just six turnovers conceded, which is really remarkable in a performance where you kind of looked at it afterwards and go, they're lacking a bit of cohesion there. It was a little bit disjointed, but they really frustrate teams and it was a, it was a good Benetton team. They're yeah. competitive now and, and they had more than enough. They made 15 line breaks. All the stats, which when you're watching, you almost expect so much at Leinster now, um, maybe undervalued their performance at the time. I do think there is probably still more of that cohesion for, for want of a better word to come and um, players just reading the right lines off each other giving that pass at exactly the right time while also being really frugal with their possession and not giving it away uh, we didn't mention that with Ulster that was the other thing that they need to focus on because they barely had the ball last week yeah. Yeah. 16 minutes but Leinster tend to, to hog it and, and frustrate you and those that penalty count was remarkable mm. really um, yeah, I, I wasn't too impressed with the, the Leon performance and I thought Northampton probably just fed off those penalties yeah. Big, they kicked six penalties, didn't they, to, to keep the scoreboard ticking over. There was a little bit of disjointedness as well defensively for that try from Hutchinson that I think the, the Leinster analysts and coaches would have picked out as well. So they'll they'll pick those little flaws and you maybe have Robbie Henshaw to come back into the team or even if Rob Carney's involved again and, and really fighting for his place now, you, you never know. So I think there's more than enough motivation, particularly with what happened in Toulouse which seems like a, a long yeah. time ago. It is a long time ago now, but it's probably fresh in, in Leinster's memories because they don't lose a lot of games. And when they do lose, they they take really severe lessons from them. They went away and it was an uncharacteristically <sighs> soppy performance, wasn't it? We talked about conceding turnovers. They gave away the ball there. You think of that length of the, the field try from Toulouse. And even when they got in control of the game as well, they just let it slip. So I think there's more than enough warning sign with that um, and then to hopefully Im improve that performance level from themselves, having had a pretty decent outing last weekend. Yeah, it looks like Leinster will be in control of that pool. And net, and then on paper, like it's still three tricky away trips. You know, Leon is not going to be an easy game. Well, it, it could transpire to be, but again, on paper, it's probably not. Franklin's Garden's rarely an easy trip. And then Benetton, as you say, are competitive. So, you know, you have to go there and do your job, essentially. You're not going to be coasting to victory. Just a touch on Northampton, who 
may well be the greatest challenger to Leinster in that pool. Did you feel as though when you say they were essentially feeding off Leon's ill-discipline, like, were you impressed by them at all? Like, can you actually yeah, yeah. see them? Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean that in a, in, a, in two negative sense. They they played smartly, but yeah, they've loads of t- weapons and tools now and, and they do play that, we mentioned it last week, they do play that very ambitious brand of rugby. Like, even Dan Bigger was never seen as a, a very attacking-minded player, but he's making those short passes, he's offloading, he's starting counter-attacks and Chris Boyd has got this infectious enthusiasm into them. They've they have loads of their own scoring weapons. Like you look at Nyavora, who's close to untackable when he gets a bit of space. And Kobus Reinach is, is one of the best try scoring scrum halves in the game. Um, and even Hutchinson, a brilliant player. I don't know how he wasn't involved in the World Cup with Scotland, actually. So, yeah, I do, I do think they'll be a bit of a threat. However, again, you go back to that nous that Leinster have yeah. and the ability to grind teams out. And Northampton just, they're not at that stage of their journey yet. I don't think so. Yeah, I'd be shocked if Leinster don't, don't top this quite comfortably, this pool. Yeah. Uh, just trying to make things interesting. We'll see <laughs> Sorry. <it. laughs> no, 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 Sorry. we'll see how it pans out, obviously. Um, and then the final one, Saturday, half five. Massive game for Munster, massive game for uh, three former Munster men coming home with Rassing. Uh Obviously, we, we touched upon Munster's performance against the Ospreys on the members podcast earlier in the week, Murray. Interested to get your own thoughts on it, Bernard. We were sort of saying during the week that... Well, Murray, you were saying quite rightly that it would have been a massive missed opportunity if they hadn't gotten the bonus point and that things probably got away from them a little bit in the second half. And yet it was mightily impressive that they dug it out with uh, the clock red and essentially from the back arse of nowhere. What, what was your impression of it, Bernard? Yeah, I think, listen, uh, Rassing have been going out well. They had a big win the week before um, against that front say, which I think boosted them, starting to get a couple of guys back. Ben Taufman is still um, still on his uh, another ten kg yeah, <laughs> weight on his diet, but uh, uh, Nakawara is back as well in 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 the environment, or he's back in Paris. Um, and I thought they, I thought Russell was was exceptional, and uh, I thought you could see their ambition to play, and you could see their quality. Obviously, it's a four, it's a it's a synthetic pitch. Saracens probably weren't at the level. Um, it'll be much harder to implement that kind of game in Tomlin Park on on Saturday, and obviously be up against a, a much better side. But definitely, really encouraging. Listen, Racing, Racing could have won it, and maybe should have won a, a Champions Cup a couple of years ago in a final in in uh, Leon, where you know they were. Ex- was Leon was it? Or Glau, about, Glau, about, yeah, yeah, they were they were exceptional on the day. So. Uh, they they have the quality to to beat anyone in this competition, so it is definitely a a big challenge for for Munster. And you can be sure that the uh, the teammates of Zebo um, and Dunica Ryan and, and obviously with Prendy there as well, um, they'll want to go and, and and do their best for them, and, and they'll see it as a huge scalp for them. And it would paper over probably what's been a difficult start for them in the in the top fourteen, and with players of the quality they have, um, it, it's a dangerous game, you know, and, and Munster. You know, defensively you need to be. Uh, it's kind of like Ulster. They need just to be very careful of of the opportunities they give. Uh, they give Racing. And I think the thing with Racing now with Prendy there is that they actually will have a lot more detail maybe than they had in the past. So um, I know Finn Russell is is a, is a huge uh, fan of of working Mike, and he feels you know he, he's given he's given the detail to the players around Russell to allow uh, Russell, Russell to be more creative and, and to be able to. Um, I suppose profit from that whereas I think last year Russell felt okay he's a bit of a maverick but the problem was there was it was just all about being a maverick whereas now there's actually a lot more a more structure to it um, there's more detail and he feels they're getting better as a, as a backline so um, that's a worry for for the Irish teams you know if Racing uh, well obviously this weekend for Munster but if Racing were to qualify um, 
you know, another couple of months with with kind of better coaching, um, and they could be a contender for any to beat anybody. Yeah. That's the one thing we know from speaking to Sebo at the event we did with him last year in Liberty Hall Theatre was like that the director, the directives from the top down to Racing's players is win both competitions. It's not yeah. that we like we don't prioritize one over the other. I think he was saying there was something in the gym, like maybe there was a picture of both trophies even or something like that. Like so having picked up a bonus point victory uh, against a team that before the pool would have been perceived as, as pool rivals, they're going to be going into this game all guns blazing. Like it's mm. not, you know, there's probably no right time to get this racing team while they're still alive in the competition. Yeah, definitely. And and it feels like they've been the first French club. Like, I mean, they kind of took up that Toulon mantle. Toulon obviously prioritised being European champions and, and other clubs, you wonder whether they really care even still. It, it happens where they, they just don't pitch up away from home or whatever. But they definitely have massive investment in it. Um, and you kind of mentioned all the attacking threats there. Like they, they beat 49 defenders last weekend. I know the synthetic service house, but the threats are incredible. We talk about Zebo, he wasn't even in the team because Juan Imhoff and Teddy Toma and Brice Doolan are playing brilliant rugby. Fakatawa at 13 was sensationally made four line breaks himself. And and even when it wasn't with width, it was it was through the heart of it. With that bit yeah. of detail around the ruck, even you see someone like Anthony Klassen getting ahead of the breakdown and, and tying in a defender yeah. just subtly. And you go, there's a bit of Mike Prendergast's touch, just adding those little details that sometimes French teams don't have and, and it frustrates you because you think if they have that little extra layer of structure they're, they're going to tear you apart Russell obviously ties it all together um, and talking about levels of possession they had tw- I think they had 22 and a half minutes of possession which yeah. is pretty remarkable so clearly for Munster you can't allow them to have that because the threats are everywhere the threats are even in the forward pack as well yeah yeah. so like I, um, there's a skills coach there as well who was, was in Grenoble uh, Philippe Ducey who had worked um, in Italy and then he was with the French national team so and then in the rest of their background of Chris Masoi, um, the Patrice Noriega, and then of Lauren Travers, who's obviously kind of moved up to head of uh, director of rugby, but would have his fingerprints all over their line out, which is probably one of the best line outs in, 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 in France. And he's always been a, a real guru there. So they have a nice coaching team who've, you know, Masoi's got phenomenal um, experience and, 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 and a real, really smart rugby coach. You know, you have Prendy who now has the language and he can, you know, communicate really well with, with the French players. But obviously, you know, the likes of you know Russell and Vakatara and um, and Zebo, they can they can all I suppose exchange their their views and just come up with a I suppose a collaborative way of of playing. And they also have got a real bond to the club, which is kind of unusual for for French players. Now you could say it's because Jackie looks after them incredibly <laughs> well, but they are probably the best club in terms of. Um, given long-term contracts, looking after players like Nianga now, who wasn't a racing man as such, you know, was was played for Toulouse most of his career, has now moved upstairs into a kind of a, a managerial role. Um, likes his Farveski, you know, he signed a five-year contract uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Now he's working in the academy. You know, they don't want to leave racing, and and uh, which is unusual. You know, there's a real club sense, and 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 that's particularly in Paris because it's so easy to be anonymous in Paris. You know, and. And that's the thing. If, if you go, if you play for Cast or uh, or Leon, and you lose a top, you lose a top fourteen game at home. Uh, your week is going to be hell. You know, you go down to the Carrefour, there's people giving you abuse. Whereas in Paris, that doesn't happen. You can pretty mm-hmm. much leave your kit bag in the dressing room and go and have your weekend uh, as you like. Whereas um, speaking to some of the lads involved in racing now, and they've worked really hard in this over the last four or five years, but they've built this club identity where. You know, performance and and respect and consistency is is really important to the group, 
and they and they want to they want to win things together and they want to represent the club and themselves in a really good light. So, you know, and Toulouse have and Clermont have it for different reasons. Clermont's a little more isolated and, and they've had a good culture there for a long time. But when you have that, there's always a chance they're going to be more consistent and. and not shy away from how daunting Toma Park would be. You know, a lot of French teams come to Toma Park and they've lost when they land in uh, in Shannon. And uh, I remember years ago, um, Nathan Hines was playing for uh, was he, uh, Perpignan and um, he just left Leinster and I remember ringing him to the morning of the match just to see, you know, were they up for it or whatever. As you're always keeping an eye on, on Munster performances when you're playing for Leinster. And, <laughs> uh, he was like, oh, the lads, they've no interest. They're even giving out about the bananas. The bananas in the Olympic take shite, right? And I, you know what I mean? So you know that their heads are gone if a banana in Limerick tastes worse than a banana in Perpignan. Oh my God. Um, but that won't happen this weekend. If, if Munster beat Racing, it'll be on merit, you'd have to say. Yeah. Any club that has a man with hair as good as Dmitry Sarsevsky as well is in pretty good nick. <laughs> I was wondering on the opposite side, you said about Prendergast and, and the development of the Racing attack. What's your sense of Larkham and Munster? Because I've seen probably promising signs. And yeah, I'm no, wondering what you're yeah, seeing. Yeah, no, I think, listen, I think the problem from, from uh, sorry, not the problem, but the, the challenge for Mike is the fact that he didn't have Russell for a preseason. Yeah. And obviously a lot of their game is going to be built around them. So I think what you've seen so far is probably the foundations. Um, and once he gets a little bit of consistency in, in selection, has has his, his first choice uh you know, players for for three or four months, you'll really see um, detail. And I think that was probably frustrating for him in Stade, Stade Francais because mm. effectively he was doing all the right stuff Monday to Friday. And then on Saturday, the head coach maybe went back to a more conservative type of game. And uh, whereas I think Racing do want to play, they have a, four, a 4G pitch, they have the players, they kind of see themselves as there to entertain as well. And that'll fit into to Mike's philosophy. So, uh yeah, I think I think Larkham, yeah, Larkham Munster look like they're they're definitely um, a lot more tuned into how they want to play, and that'll just again evolve and and, and get better. And if, if they can add another layer to their attack, you know that, that's probably what's killed them in the, in the semi final losses, just not being being a little bit too one dimensional. Um, so it's exciting, and they have good players to play as well. So yeah, I think uh, that could be a it's, it's early days. Like I said, Prendergast, Racing, and, and Larkham's Munster in May will be. I'd say even a lot better, but they're both good attacking sides this weekend. Yeah, I think you've put it nicely, delicately about Stade Francais there. I think Mike got out at the right time. That club seems to have absolutely disintegrated and now. Well, it's going to be huge, like who comes in now. Um, yeah. So I, it's normally when a French club sack coach, they win the following weekend. And that's only a Challenge <laughs> Cup game, but he got smashed by Brieve in Paris. And um, he could just, like, uh, you know, the, the owner... Uh, Mr. Hair Wild, uh, he's already put in something like 30, 32 million. And, you know, if they got relegated, which they could, Bayonne have had a decent start, Breve had a decent start, Stad look like they've got zero cohesion or, or spirit. So, um, and in fairness, I think Mike and, and Paul probably probably were frustrated with some of the things they could see happening in the background. So it's a, it's a big one. Whoever goes in there, you know, they, they made the. Uh, Arias, the winger, kind of assistant coach last weekend. Um, but I think they'll probably appoint someone soon. But uh, yeah, a famous club could be in trouble. Well, it's not yeah. long ago that they were nearly Osprey. Like, there was talk of them amalgamating with Racing. Yeah. Remember? Well, I mean, well, it, was it was only because the amateur association uh, vetoed it. Yeah. Uh, so Jackie wanted one super club in, in Paris. And um, he was afraid someone, well, the, there was supposed to be um, money coming in from uh, Dubai to buy, so, uh, to, bu- to buy Stade Francais and make them like Paris Saint Germain. And Jackie was like, well, it's only going to be once, you know, superly funded, super funded club in, in Paris. So the best thing to do is buy it and, and, and kill him off. Now, Wilders came in and he has thrown a lot of money at it. In factual fact, he's 
he's thrown, I think, over three and a half million away on paying off people, you know, whether it was coaches or players like Parise, et cetera, um, because, you know, he was following the Heineke direction and then now Heineke's part away. So, um, yeah, you lose a lot of money quickly in a, in a club like uh, Stade Francais. Long story short, we're interested if there's a million on the table, but otherwise we're ruining ourselves out of contention for the job. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> uh, just before we go, like I feel as though we've barely mentioned Munster, a lot of uh, interesting French chat. Like, obviously you did allude to their attack, but Murray, how do you approach this game if you're Johan van Graan and Stephen Larkin and Graham Roundtree? Like, what, based on what we saw of Racing's victory over Saracens, is there areas in which you can nullify them? Is it a bit like going again to uh, targeting them all, for example, as Bernard said, Ulster might do with Clermont? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think it'll be a, a fairly similar game plan. I think it'll be a real Toman Park European night game plan, if you know what I mean, with with kick-heavy focus. I think the stuff we've seen from from Larkham's attacking focus, even you you, you see Noah Scannell throwing an offload, there are a little bit of, bits of different shape coming into it. And maybe the players, actually Noah Scannell said this during the week, he said, it's been tricky actually getting up to speed with that comeback from the World Cup. There's a lot of different things. I think they'll simplify it back again for this game. Developing their attack is absolutely a priority over the course of this season, but I think you do that in stages and you do it at the right time. And I think they'll have a real realism about their game plan for this for this clash they just can't allow Racing to have that level of possession so even if you're kicking it's going to be kicking with severe pressure on on the on the ball trying to win it back use Conway Conway's strengths in that regard um, and on other guys chasing the ball or turning someone like Teddy Thomas deep in his own half and if they're going to have possession it's it's back there where maybe his strengths as a winger don't lie so I think it'll be very um a robust mole heavy Obviously, they got to win that line of possession. It's key against that rasping defensive line. You mentioned it there. They're brilliant. Someone like Shuzano, who's not a, a big star, you saw him picking off Saracen's ball. They'll have to be really solid in that set-piece area. As well as a couple of scrum penalties in the last couple of weeks, I think Roundtree will be looking to snuff that right out. Um, but I think it'll be a very kind of traditional Munster performance. And I think that's what this situation calls for. And then in in the weeks to come you can get back rolling with that attacking side that we have seen promising signs from so that's where where I think they'll focus this week yeah it was conspicuous in Swansea Bernard that they were trying to offload as readily as as possible at times they were probably forcing it and it didn't look like the most uh, coherent uh, structure or attacking structure or even lack thereof but there was still some success from it and it felt like the kind of game that you could afford to do that this isn't one of those so no. is it a case of literally rolling back the years and rolling up the sleeves yeah it is but I think you'll still see the the strands of that philosophy in it so you know it was interesting Murray spoke about you know Joe Schmidt being all about the contact well if you're really good in contact offloads will actually come at the back of it and uh, so you've dominated the collision and and you get your hands free so I think they'll be focusing on that whereas maybe against Ospreys a few times and in fairness, it was a difficult game mentally for them because they were red-hot favourites away from home. The, the bonus point was kind of expected. And sometimes you can just chase that a little bit, you know, early. And, and they probably were guilty of that. Whereas this week, you know, it'll be about getting a win. And uh, to get a win, you've got to be very physical. Um, I think you've got to be very direct. Uh, but once you start to punch holes, you know, you still have, you know, that's that's probably been the the question mark was that when they, when they were dominant in the contact, and there was an offload on, they didn't go for it. And that made team that gave teams a chance to recover. And and then Munster would struggle to break him down the second time or third time. Um, whereas you'd like to see that what well, the signs we saw last week and have seen, you know, so far in the Pro 14 of having that ambition and being willing to take a risk. Um, you know, they'll have to do that as well because they probably they won't be able to bully 
a team of wrestling size and power for for eighty minutes. Which what you got to do is you know do it. I want you to find, get an opportunity. You got to be ballsy enough to, to go for it. And I think if they do that, they, yeah, I think Munster will, will win that. You know, but yeah. I think it should be a brilliant game. Yeah, we'll go to predictions. So before we wrap, you reckon Ulster at home to Claremont might get yeah. a job done, Bernard? Yeah. So I go Leinster with a bonus. Ulster home, no bonus. Uh, Connacht away. Might get a losing bonus, you know, hopefully. And then uh, I think Munster at home, no bonus for Munster and a bonus for Racing. Okay. Yeah, I think Connacht will, I think Connacht will stay with lose. I'm going to go for a losing bonus point there. Leinster, I don't think they'll get the bonus. I think Leon will probably f- invest a lot of energy into what you said, a, a possible statement win in Europe. I do think Munster will edge it and probably Ulster the same as well. I don't see them winning big, but I think we'll have three Irish provinces winning and then Connacht hopefully being very competitive in Toulouse. And still alive. Yeah, that'd be a decent weekend's work. Gentlemen, thanks a million. Cheers. Thank thanks you. to everybody at home as well. We'll be back for the 42 members on Monday, looking back on the weekend's action and then we will return for non-members next Thursday again, same time, uh, maybe a little bit earlier, actually. Uh, members at the 42.e if you want to sign up there and get some of those members' podcasts. Uh, This podcast was brought to you in association with Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Uh, Enjoy all the rugby over the weekend and until either next Monday or next Thursday, take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. (laughs) Rugby, rugby, weekly. When the room